Yo, uh, my sponsor today, not my sponsor, is it? It's the show's sponsor. The show's sponsor today reminds me, well, reminded me earlier of a dodgy episode I had in North Wales last week. Wasn't, wasn't too dodgy. The episode I had in North Wales last week, I was, I was on holiday with my daughters. We went rock climbing down there. Um, rolling down a beautiful route towards Langoslin, enjoying the scenery, the sunshine, chatting away, having a lovely time. Got stuck in a fucking traffic jam because a tree had fallen on the road. Pain in the arse. Uh, our sponsor today could have sorted that out. Griswood and Tom's are the sponsors. Uh, Griswood and Tom's basically what they do is they deal with tree felling, dismantling, pruning, and reduction, and also stump grinding. They do tree surgery and are very, very good at it. They've been rocking the tree surgery world since the 1970s, over 40 years. And since then, they've become widely regarded as the most capable and experienced specialist arboricultural company in the UK. Arboricultural basically means that they're expert with trees, shrubs, vines, and other kinds of woody plants, if you know what I mean. Those, well, woody plants is probably the best way to describe it. And they know how best to manage them. Hence their fantastic reputation. Griswood and Charms have got depots all over the UK with regional depots in eight different locations. They directly employ their experts and have over 170 arborists from apprentices through to consultants. So they train their guys from the ground up, extremely knowledgeable and passing that knowledge down, down, right down to the new starters so they can bring it right back up and train people in the future and keep that knowledge going. They're also an Arboricultural Association approved contractor, which means that they have proven and continue to prove their worth as being able to undertake the most challenging of operations, regardless of scale or complexity. Griswood and Toms even liaise with local authorities if necessary to manage any applications needed for tree work, all on your behalf. You know the kind of nightmares you've heard about. Protected trees, protected areas. They will square all that away for you and make sure everything's been done properly and in line with what local authorities want so you don't get a slap on the wrist and a nasty fine. They're really easy to find. You can find Griswood at gristwoodandtoms.co.uk. Spell Gristwood, G-R-I-S-T-W-O-O-D. I'll also put a link up for them uh, after this. Um, yeah, gristwoodandtoms.co.uk. Griswood and Toms on Facebook and on Instagram. Give them a like, give them a share, check them out. Very generous of them to sponsor the show today, which leads me on to the show. Our guest being... Julian Woodall. Julian used to be a member of the Royal Artillery. Uh, he, oh, flipping heck, what do we talk about? We talked about all sorts in this show. We went from Lawrence Arabia and his gayness to uh, to the Berlin Wall uh, and um, a lot of other things. It was a bit of a random one and it was an absolute pleasure. On to the show. Julian Woodall. Enjoy. I think we're live are we yes we're live we're live on youtube baz we're live upstairs julian Woodall, absolute pleasure to meet you buddy are you hugh how the devil are you sir? i'm very good i'm very good i thought for a fleeting moment earlier on that we had met at the um ride for conrad event we didn't did we yes we did did we <laughs> i'm thinking how drunk did i get i don't remember people like- did we we did didn't we because we spoke next day oh my god well, no don't like mention that bit no this. no we won't explain that bit is that classified uh, i just is remember it? that's classified <laughs> that is classified why are you saying just now you know where the uh the heads away from dudley uh, yes yeah, so you born dudley you raised there or born there or both raised there and born there and the and the 
and the headphones make you feel like you're posh. It makes me feel like I'm sounding posh. Here. Oh, sounding posh! First time ever in my life, and probably few of the actual listeners. Now I've just said I come from Dudley. You're going to be Dudley. Don't be- ask. Because I don't say Yo Bay or Bin, or, and I call the canal the canal, not <laughs> the cut, and not oh, I've got to keep it toy. Yeah, they're going to say oh, say so a few of them will pick up probably now that I do have a. I have a Dudley accent. I was born in Dudley, 1968, and it it was when Dudley came off to the um, t- under the lovely county of Worcestershire, mm. and then it changed over to the West Midlands. I got West Midlands mixed up last last on one of the shows before with uh, West Midlands and West Country. <laughs> I don't how, know. I'm I'm Welsh, right? And I was based in Essex. I got a clue. How and we did talk- you manage I don't know. that? Well, it's West, isn't it? Which West, yes, what? but West Country is like Devon and Cornwall and Orate, where do you come from? Where you come from the West no, Country, that's right? Wales. Wales. No, that's a, Wales. That's the West Country. That's Southwest, though. That's like, it's Cornwall and stuff. Cornwall and Bristol. Is it not just known as Cornwall and Bristol? No, it's not. No, it's not. Because <laughs> Bristol is part of uh, Gloucestershire. Right. Is that not West Country? That's, yeah, it is, but the West Midlands is. Where does West Midlands end then, south, and where does the West Country <laughs> start? Or is this a controversial thing that started wars in the past, or ended wars? Well, actually, the the controversy is, Dudley used to come under the Black Country, <laughs> Dudley's part of the Black Country, no, you've asked. And it's, it, the Black Country started and stopped, I remember, as a kid, at the Staffordshire the Not Pub. The, the Black Country? The Black Have Country. Have you just made that up? No, I haven't. Where's it's, the Black Country? The Black Are you con- just making stuff up now? Because I'm, I'm ignorant to it. <laughs> the Black Country is Dudley. That area, the black country, due to the 1800s, the Industrial Revolution. I'm fact-checking this. And all, and all the factories were kicking out so much soot and that. The whole area was covered in black soot, so it's called the black country. Right. But I remember as a kid, it started and stopped at the Staffordshire Knott pub on the Birmingham New Road, if I remember correctly, going in to Wolverhampton on the 126, obviously, bus route, mm. or the buzz route, as they call it there. That's where the black country started and stopped. Because the West Midlands became a county back... It must have been, like, early 80s, because Dudley came under Worcestershire. Hang on a minute. Isn't Warwickshire a county? Warwickshire is a county. How is it Warwickshire in the West Midlands, then? No, no. Warwickshire... Birmingham used to come under Warwickshire because Warwickshire County Cricket Club, dare I say that, being a Worcestershire boy, mm. may the Lord not strike me down with obviously lightning. <laughs> Warwickshire County Cricket Club is in Edgebaston, Birmingham because Birmingham used to come under Warwickshire. And then as far as a certain part on the Hagley Road in Birmingham, from there, that went changing to Worcestershire. And half of Dudley came under Worcestershire and Staffordshire. It's all very, it's all very, obviously, political, as I say. Yeah. Why did they change it? Just to make it a bigger organ? No. Why Why did they change it? I haven't got a clue, mate. It, it, it's all in down now because, obviously, Worcestershire County Cricket Club had a ground over Dudley. It, it was a backup, obviously, cricket ground. Mm. Well, until it sunk. <laughs> there's subsidence underneath it's, subsidence. it's quite common the old uh, sinking cricket ground it's subsidence it? underneath it. it it's sunk into the caves so uh, that got stopped you reminded earlier when you said it reminded me earlier as I was chuckling off when through you were talking of a guy called uh, 
I said with and his name was Dudley, and he was he was I'm guessing he was from Dudley because that oh he's from, or he's a Brummie because he was a Dudley. Whoa 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 whoa! whoa, whoa. Don't call us Brummies. I didn't know. I said from Dudley or he was from or he was Brummie. We're yam yams. Yam yams. I've heard that as well. I've heard that. Yeah, I have heard that as well. Yam yam. That's what that is. That like um. What do they call them up north in Sunderland and Newcastle? You got the Geordies and you yeah. got the 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 oh, and the Mackhams. The Mackhams, the Mackhams. Yeah, yeah. And there was another guy who Dudley was a signaller, right? And he's another. <laughs> you know the memories you forget, and then they come back with something. Yeah. <laughs> There's another signaller, and he was called. Uh, I won't mention his name. <laughs> I won't mention his name, uh, but he had a he had a. He had a he had a tick, and he, <laughs> he used to he used to be sitting there in an old group, right? And you know, the, <laughs> I remember it last Afghan tour I did. I mean, sitting there, one of the most memorable things, sitting in an old group in the ops room, and you got like fucking radios everywhere and like bleeps and that going, and uh, the OC talking and giving the brief. And you always when you when we had new attachments or whatever come on come into the company, you, one of the first things we ping. Is that we'd watch them in the old group because they would cl- they would clock this guy's tick, but not know it was his tick because his tick was he would he would <laughs> all you'd hear is boop <laughs> boop. So if you knew you didn't know this guy, you'd be hearing bleeps and often from radios, and, and the OCB talking away like nothing's going on. There'd be some something bleeping, and you see him looking round. Beep, boop, boop. <laughs> and then going, where's it coming from? It takes him about 20 minutes to clock that. It's, it's a signal in the corner. He's got his tick and he sits there going, boop, <laughs> beep, boop. <laughs> and when you, get ag- <laughs> when you get agitated or when like the subject of your group sort of raised, you go, beep, beep, boop, <laughs> beep, boop, boop. <laughs> and then we go, how oh, you been pitching it faster? <laughs> Jesus. The funniest thing. You used to call him R2D2 was the funniest thing you've ever heard. I- I remember, in, I remember in basic training, I, I joined up on the 5th of November 1990, and uh, I turned up at Woolwich. Like I was nine years old. I wasn't. Um, oh no, I was eight years old. Was you? <laughs> yeah, go on. I, I turned up, and, and you go uh, to Woolwich, and you picked up the station, you took over over to the camp and that. When did you do your basic... Woolwich? What? Woolwich, so, in w- London. Ah, what, you... Why are you down there? Is that where the artillery? I was in the Gunners. Tra- it right, was okay, the yeah. uh, then at the time the main obviously training camp. So after basic, I remember after Christmas after basic, go over to either Signals a troop or a driving a troop, and I went over to Signals a troop. And this one day, I stood outside the Signals wing, and I always remember you going on about ticks. <coughs> mm. And my mate called me out, Harry. He says, "Come and have a look at this minute, a minute, Woody." Smart as anything, this soldier is marching along. He's got the, you know, his jumper on, starched and everything, the, the greener trousers he marched on. The next one goes, like that. <laughs> what the fuck? And apparently this lad didn't hit a tree skiing. Yeah. And he, it's also affected him because he got into hospital. Woolwich come out even worse. Oh, God. So when I went over to 5th Regiment in Germany, in Dortmund, one of the batteries, K battery, you said this battery sergeant major called Fat Frank. That called him. Was he quite fit? <laughs> he was, yeah. <laughs> he used to be in the bar. Am I allowed to swear? 
Yeah, of course you are. Because he used to go up to the bomb and say, hey, Bob and Ian, get the beers in, you cunt. <laughs> Fat Frankie's name was. Well, this, this guy, Hoppy, he was out there. He'd got worse as he got, as he got older. Mm. So when he used to get a drink, he'd have his, his point there in the naffy, and he'd be like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitting yeah. his knee. Hey, 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 ten, ten, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. he's hitting things with his hand. Get like that. Because he was trying to cover it up, then he grabbed the glass. But the point is, it, for some reason, it was a perfect shot on the range. Mm. Great shot, because he was concentrating. Mm. We were on the Junior NCO's course. A couple of three things I remember, which were absolutely hilarious. It was over Salisbury, and we was using, for the first time, the Law 90. So f for a laugh, they got me teamed up with this guy, Hoppy. And there was this <coughs> old tank in front of us. So it was a laugh. I I went to pick it off, and the sergeant major dev said, "Not you." That Oppy do it. So he picked it up. <laughs> the man with his fire, he twitched. Oh no! <laughs> like that, missile <laughs> shot out. Instead of going to the centre of the tank, it bounced off the turret. Went up into orbit. The sergeant made in the DS like, like laughing their heads off. And then we went up, and the sergeant he used to like cover up his tick by doing things. Mm. Now I like I used to have a stutter, so I used to cover up the stutter by saying erm or or sticking another word. But he used mm. to cover up his his uh, his tick by so, movement with movement. by movement, but saying words random. <laughs> So the sausage made a dev come in this one on the foot on the land that's got right. We've got Marn Barracks, we go up to the top to the main camp. How many people need transport? And this man this off he went, hey, ten <laughs> Right then, off he went. So the next day he comes in, he got all the full streets course all lined up. And he's like, I just said, Right, which one of you fucking jokers went and said we need ten people when three went on the minibus? And he was like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then on the passing out parade, you know, health and safety went out the window because we had we had bayonets on. Mm. Oh no! You can yeah. guess what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he stood there. <laughs> Who did he stab? <laughs> he stabbed the CO, the Colonel. <laughs> Come along, <laughs> Colonel went up to him. <laughs> just the last note. I remember I stood in the front there. He was next to me. And he went, <laughs> twitched. <laughs> just missed the colonel's eye by inches <laughs> and all of a sudden all the lads the tears were just coming down their eyes and that but I was, I was, I was some of the characters were Crazy. just like you remember and yeah I'm going through they're flying through my head now all the stories <laughs> those characters who were uh... yeah. I was I was saying on uh, I seen before how I seen it to it's like it's it's nigh on impossible. It's nigh on impossible to get binned out of the army. I don't know what the navy and RAF are like, but it's nigh on impossible to get. Well, the infantry anyway to get binned out of it. You you know, you can be this the the this least mentally capable, should we say, individual. You can even be really unfit. You know, you you literally have to stab someone in the head in front of the CO, you know, or a policeman. Or be caught doing drugs in front of someone, uh, someone of of rank, to get booted out. Other than that, you're staying in. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, you know, it's like if if you know someone, because it 
If there's someone in like that who's, you think, what the flipping are you doing in Europe? They would, they would have had no hope in Civic Street, but they had to have done, had some achievement to get in, in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Thrash the fitness and the, like the basic aptitude test isn't, isn't easy, mm. you know? But, uh, yeah, so you get some absolute maniacs. And then you get the, um, I don't know what it was like when you got in. Fijians who can allegedly, I'm thinking now, I'm thinking back now, is this, is this true or is this just like, just the rumor mill? Where they could sign up for 22 years. They could sign a contract for 22 years. You know? And yeah. I knew some of them were pretty unfair. I knew some were superb soldiers, superb soldiers with, with awesome heritage, like a couple of ex. Uh, one of them is his uncle. One of them is a good, good friend. Uh, I say good friend. Good friend at the time. I, I haven't spoken to him much since. But his uncle's Lava Lava. The, the Earthquake guy. His, yeah. his yeah. uncle. You know what I mean? Oh, his uncle or great uncle, one of the two. And then you get the other side, it's like, they're good for propping in the rugby team oh, for 10 minutes, maybe in a half. And that's, that's about it. They never get out. They sign up for 22 years. It's sorted. <laughs> they are, yeah. They are. They're like, yeah. Yeah. Built like yeah. big shit houses. These people are lovely guys as well. Fantastic yeah. guys. But yeah. I, I mean, I've, I'm sitting there now thinking of some of the characters. But as you say, it gives people a grounding. Because I found that I joined up, and I had a few, obviously, qualifications from school. But the thing going, once you find your niche in the army, mm. or any of the armed forces, guys get to, you know, go on into business and stuff like that. You know, I'm in touch with old friends now. And some of them got some fantastic uh, jobs. And I, and I think about them when I knew them. Mm. And you think, Jesus Christ, how are you trading with China at the moment? <laughs> well, my mate's Foxy, this mm. Geordie, from, once again from K-Battery. Well, they probably, it's a similar language, is it not? Geordie and <laughs> Chinese. <laughs> but, but, but they get into jobs and they've got their own businesses. You might go, well, you remember them as soldiers. Yeah. And you think to yourself, at 21, 22, you think, Jesus, how did he... How did he go? How did he do that? I want to stick him in charge of a Hornby train set, let alone mm. basically he's trade. Oh, I'm trading with China now. I spoke to him mm. just before Christmas. Oh, I'm trading. I'm trading with China now. Like I got this <laughs> business going. I'm on that. Okay. What are you doing? Health and safety. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trading with China now. All right. How are the missile systems coming on these days? He's not doing that, by the way. Thing is, everyone's good at something. Aren't they? It's it's like. Um, it's, it's if, it's finding it. That's the rarity. Everyone's good at something. It's finding it's the rarity. And if you've got like a, if, if you've got a good manager, if you go into a job and you're cack at that job, then I, I think, I, I'm learning this. I'm beginning to bring this on as like a, a, a lesson, a professional lesson on myself, you know. Um, it is, it's not about, it's some of cack. It's not about, I think the default thing for, for companies to do is, oh God, we've got to get rid of that guy or that girl. When it should be that job isn't suited to them, mm. let's find something that is. Is there may not be. Is there an alternative? When I was um, when I was uh, when I was in, there was a situation where we were going to go on an operation. It's an Af Afghan. It's the first Afghan, so it wasn't an insignificant thing. Um, and I was with the sniper platoon at the time, and we needed bolstering in numbers. And the way they did that. <laughs> Because everyone wanted all they, they wanted to keep all experienced guys across the across the unit. No one wanted to give us like their decent guys to come mm. to snipers. Um, so the way they did it was, we got given a load of new recruits. <laughs> 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 so 
Honestly, mate, they just finished. They just finished, right? Um, just are we finished, talking true. about the 1800s here, or are we talking no, about we're in talking, 2000? We're talking about okay. Afghanistan <laughs> 6, right? And uh, they gave us oh, six or eight of them. Uh, all of them, bar one, were um, fresh from training. Fresh from training. And I don't know how the units work with three part of the way with snipers. Is the platoon selects who they would like, or it's suggested to them who would be good for the platoon. Then those guys go on to a selection, and, they, and then the sniper platoon chooses if they want them or not. So in, invariably, it's always the most experienced, most capable um, prior troopers go on to it. Mm. I suspect it's the same with other units. So they got given these seven, oh no, eight, I think it was seven or eight. Anyway, all of them were fresh from depot. One of them was TA. <sighs> who, who said he wasn't going? He wasn't willing to go on the tour unless he went to snipers. He was. Oh, I've been him. Oh, I ordered him. Who you to do that? You know, just get your ass in. You know. Anyway, those guys, all of them, they they obviously hadn't done any sniper course, no time of sniping whatsoever. But all of them, we. We they were all good at something. They were all good at something. There was a couple of them were brilliant the LMG and a light machine gun. There's a couple of them were brilliant signals. There was a couple of them who would like just they were just made to be snipers. Mm. You know, on that tour, the sort of they did the sort of <laughs> sniper training on the tour, like, you know. And um but saying everyone's good at something, it's finding what it is. And if and if there's always good at something, you know, but again for companies they may not be finding that role for them and it's but that should be the first option you explore. Change the role. And if then you're flipping mental, then get rid of you. As opposed to just, look, get rid of you and get someone else into the suit. Because it's not fair. Not fair. And someone, especially if someone's coming to the company, they've already got that experience. They may only have a day more than the, a new guy coming in, but, you yeah, know, or a girl. I'm waffling. You were going to say something? Well, I mean, I remember on HF a signals course, mm-hmm. and I was having a stutter. One of the instructors, he, he wanted me off this... I was on a long-term course, and he, he wanted me off it because he said, having a stutter, I would look bad in front of the unit. And another guy said, another instructor from another unit said, hang on a minute, you can't do that because there's other people in other units who've got stutters. Just because you've got a stutter, it doesn't mean it's going to make a difference. So anyway, on the HF course, in my day, right, we were the last unit to use Morse code. Ah, well, flipping heck. Oh, no, Did you say old. 1990s or 1960s? 1990s, mate. We were still using Morse code. <laughs> Not, I think 1993. I was, the last God. course I was on to go through, and you had to do HF comms, and we had a 320 radio, which was about that I know, big. 320, yeah. And we yeah. used to have a hand-wanking machine to, uh, to crank up the battery, to power the battery, and I, as a signaler, <laughs> used to power the battery and stir the tea. <laughs> And it was like, I always remember, we had to do like Morse code. He learned it in in uh, groups of five. So it comes over to the Morse code uh, test, um, out of the course. You had to learn the whole thing, Morse code, flat out. And whole thing, flat out. And he used to use, we actually used a coding system in 1993, which was dated back to the Special Operations Executive in World War Two, mm. And it still worked. Mm. It still worked. We didn't have... Satcom in those days, you put your antenna up and all that sort of stuff, and you worked it all out. So I sat the Morse test, and I sat it, and I took it all all down, and then I sent it. So I sent it off, and this one instructor didn't like me. He said, "Oi, stuts." <laughs> I'm just, calling that from now on. You've just passed. 
How did you manage that? How did you learn Morse code so, f so fast? I said, I learnt it in the Sea Cadets. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd been a Sea Cadet. Mm. Right. I qualified as a radio operator, or a dick dar, they used to call it. So I learnt Morse code in the Sea Cadets. When I went on this course, we had to do Morse code. Because I still remembered it from being a kid. I was like that. <laughs> Tapping away. <laughs> and one of the blokes said, good effort, mate. All right, Woody, good effort. Good to know you haven't got a stutter in your finger. <laughs> I heard that um, when I was in school, when I was in school, I had, as in like primary school, I wanted to do, uh, there was a, a, a fleet moment, I wanted to have a, like a, a school radio channel. I was, I was only eight. What, what, you, what are you in primary school? Like seven, eight years old, aren't you? And I, at the time, I got told that, yeah, you can be, and we'll buy you like some radio kit. All DJs have to learn Morse code. I heard this is this was uh, this is about the time you were joining the army. <laughs> I was in school, um, yeah, uh, learn Morse code. I don't know if that's true or not. I've got no idea. It sounds pretty plausible to me at that time. It is like music, though. Morse code is music. What if you, you mean? yeah, it's like da 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 da. That was V. You used to, uh, and that's how you actually learnt it. Oh, like remembering the rhythm kind of thing. Yeah, it was oh. all rhythm, it was all her beat and stuff like that. Oh. It, was a, it was a nightmare, because you're in a wood in Germany and it's snowing. And you've got to... Oh, you're shivering. Encode. <laughs> you've got to encode a message. Yeah. So encode it and you send it off and you're there and you're tapping away, stirring at the same time. <laughs> He's doing the patrol commander's brew at the same time, mm. and you're tapping away. And then it comes in, and you've got to decode it, and you're like, "Must be better than backcode, though." Or the maps. Oh, oh yes, all the maps. Okay. Then you get your mate to check it. Yeah, but it, it was that was the old days of the forces. Like I remember on an OPX course. I know what OPX Observation Post Assistance course. How to call in artillery fire. Right, okay, got you. And on that course, as it, as it's called in the mm. Gunners, these days it's like a laser and all that sort of stuff, mm. we used to have a map, a NATO light protector. Mm. Prismatic compass. A compass. Mm -hmm. Now we upgraded to a silver compass. Nah, because the prismatic's more accurate. And we had a, a piece of string attached to the protector. Oh, yeah. Because what we used to do, yeah. fumble on the map, we used to work out the gridge, the gridge altitude and direction all off the map. And you'd be out the, the the GT to target, the guns to target, and the OP to OT, observer to target. We used to stick it on with your piece of string like that going across, mm. and then you mark it up on your map. We did the same when you when you train the sniper course, and I think when you're doing the mortars and all that, you you de you you, de you assume that there's no you got no technology, you got nothing because yeah. obviously your time before sat and that we did it all the time. And Thanks I think, for that, cheers. Yeah, and we <laughs> and we we do we if there was time, we would do that. We would do that. We do it like the manual way first, and then we would confirm it mm. with technology if we had it. But I, um, I used to hate it. I refused to buy a sat-nav because as soon as you get your... Not a sat-nav, what the bloody hell? A GPS. A GPS. All on Magellan. Yeah, and the Magellans, yeah. The GPS, it's like you, you get... You've, I've seen seen blokes get, get too reliant on them and then the map reading still out the window and all of a sudden, well, if you might, your GPS dies and you're fucked because you can't map read anymore. Or you, oh, you can map read basic, you know, in a basic sense, but not sort of micro-map reading. But, um, 
Yeah. So when did you join up? 1990? November the 5th, 1990. Uh, how long was training back then? Three months. For phase one? For phase one, yeah. Phase that? one and phase two was th- three months. Was What? Phase one and phase two. It was three months. <laughs> was it th- three nah, months? Yeah. Mate, that's nothing. Yeah. Because you complete army training and join the artillery with three months. Yeah. That explains a lot about the artillery. Well, thanks a lot. <laughs> but then what you have to do is you go away over to the regiment. Phase three. And then you do all your courses at a regiment. That must have changed now. See, phase one and phase two now, isn't it? So and then you have you, a phase three when you join up. So you do your basic training. Yeah. And you learned how to march. And you used to get, you used to get I don't know if you guys ate, you turned up. He got given a pair of trainers and coveralls. And you were, marched, they, were they silver shadows back then? Yeah, that's it, yeah. yeah. He marched over to the cookhouse. You marched over to the cookhouse, mm. had your scram, and you marched back. And when you got your uniform, uh, basic then, in the gunners, you used to go to bed at three o'clock in the morning to be woken up by Bombardier, <laughs> Bombardier M. And he, it was, it was a... It was a legend because he'd, he'd shot down a Pucara in the Falklands War. A what? A, a Pucara aircraft in the Falklands War. Oh, is that a jet? Yeah. He Sorry. shot down a jet in the Falklands War. And, uh... With what? I think it was, I think it was either a rape... No, it wasn't a blowpipe because that was shit. It was a rape... Uh, I think it was a rape, yeah. But mm. apparently he had his Falklands badge. Oh, he, he shot down an aircraft in the Falklands War. And he was, he was off Spanish as well. And he used to kick the door open. He used to kick the door open and stick all the lights on. Mm. Five o'clock in the morning. So you get a bit at three o'clock so you'd have all your block jobs. You'd have all your block jobs. You'd be cleaning. Because I remember on my 22nd birthday, I had the honour of cleaning out the toilets. Mm. And uh, we had another full screw. We used to go out on the piss. Then used to come in. They used to wake us up and you have to stand by your beds. Then you go back to bed and we yeah. go back oh yeah, God. go back to bed. The troop downstairs had this bombardier and I always remember he had a distinctive voice. I go, Get outside, Normandy troop. Because what do you do? You'd be halfway through your scrap at lunchtime. Yeah. Right, we were in a hotel El Kabir <clears> troop. <throat> like, Get outside, tell El Kabir troop. <laughs> you run outside. But this one for Normandy troop. Had a had a distinctive camp. No, what camp? Aggressive voice. I oh. always maybe just walk around with his pay stick and everything. So when we went over to Signals Troop, I, was, I can't remember his name. It was a guy from Solly Hall, and we sat there, and he used to do his voice perfect. So the next batch had come in. So we gone over to Signals Troop. So the next batch had come in, and he sat next to me. Hey, Wood, Wood, listen to this. <laughs> you can guess what's coming right. get outside normally troop all these recruits started shoving the mouse straight outside and bombing he was like they were looking at what the fuck are they going oh, and walked out went who, who told you lot to get outside I mean these guys they all walked out and little, little sniggers on our face and everything like that but, but you think then to train it you just have to do guard duty Mm. So you'd come in from a day's work, you'd be on guard duty, you'd have like an hour's sleep, then you'd be back up again. And you used to have to, you used to, have to stag on at the parade ground at Woolwich, underneath the arches, and had a, a fence about that big all the way around it. <laughs> because you weren't issued a rifle, you'd not pass your toe, you'd just get a pick off. 
God. <laughs> he's got this pick elf to walk around his pick elf just in case anybody and remember this one's in PT we do weird baller races outside on the real, real barrel races real baller yeah. races on the grass the parade square was the parade square was there and there was grass at the back we do the real baller races and this lad he hadn't hit by my legs no, this, was this fat kid he got chucked out in the end he went fuck this shit and he dropped me and he ran for the fence and he, and he had on you know a red pt vest like yeah. that blue pair of army shorts green socks rolled over oh this <laughs> in training yeah, yeah, yeah. and he still said the trainers just dropped me when i was he went into the grass and he got up and they saw him <laughs> and said woodall tackle him now <laughs> and pinned him down to the ground he was like i wanted to escape I mean, he was in like his PT gear. <laughs> yeah, going through Woolwich. How was he going to get through Woolwich with basically just his PT? He's not the best gear to do an mm. escape and evasion exercise in. And there's a, uh, there's a place called The Dell. And so if you're an ex-gunner, you probably know this place. The Dell was like this. It's like this, this assault course going all the way around it. And you used to have to assemble a cannon at the end. So you had a log some wood and these two big tractor tyres but you used to have to go through oh this. that was the cannon in, that was in the cannon the <laughs> and you used to have to take it around this assault course and uh, there was a stream and the stream had rats in it oh man and you used to have these coveralls on climb over it and you used to have to run around then assemble a cannon and this one day the tractor tyre landed on this lad's ankle and <laughs> broke it and his bitch like, was like that, get up, get up. <laughs> Stop being weak and pathetic. <laughs> you know, next thing you know, he's, up in, he's, he's in the men's centre, then he's, he's in hospital because he got, <laughs> he's just like had his, his ankle fractured because a tractor tyre just dropped on top of it. I, I, when, I was, when I was in school, I dislocated my knee in a rugby match. In the open, it kicked off yeah. and I caught the... Did I catch the ball? I don't know if I caught the ball anyway. For, Flipping kid running the other way, fell or whatever. Anyway, fell across my my leg. I was side on, popped my knee, and the co and the coach did that to me. <laughs> get up, Kia, run it off. <laughs> One of those painful injuries you get up, run it off. Oh, Jesus Christ, I did that this mate. Right, three months training, and then off to yeah, yeah, and then off to uh, where Fifth was the unit based then? Germany. Where were they based then? In Germany, I was in Dortmund. I went to Dortmund in Germany. I think my, uh, I think a mate of mine was uh, in at that time, and he's based in Germany. He was artillery. Um, Whereabouts? But I think he was signals. He was signals in artillery. I'm sure he was. I don't know. I don't know. They were sometimes get signals attached, but we were all all like and um, self-contained. He was part. Of, he was involved. Are you aware of a a four-tonner crash, where a lot of people got killed? Soldiers. No. That was in Germany. Four tonner, loses brakes, going down a hill. There was like 27, they were crammed in the back as you always were. Went down, it tipped over, and like three or four of them dead. Five of them dead, I think it was. Yeah, I can't remember that. No? Yeah. Uh, well, um, do you go to the reunions? I go to two. Martin Mart King, his name is. Martin King. No. I do remember in Germany... We were actually at an old Luftwaffe camp because oh. the the Luftwaffe Eagle. If you looked behind the sign, 
Mm. And it was uh, Dugsall Eagle was actually there. And I can't I can't remember the name of the camp, but you came out of it. There was main road, and the and the quarters was opposite. And the camp was famous because there was an, an IRA attack. Ah. One of the guys came out. An officer came out. What was the camp called? Sorry, I can't remember the name of the camp. I can't. It wasn't Osnabrück or something. Like that, no, was it? no. In, it was in Dortmund's outskirts of Applebeck. Mm. Anyway. And uh, I can remember one of the, an, I think an officer came out, IRA hit team, sh- shot him, <coughs> drove past our camp. I wasn't there at the actual time, but they drove past the actual camp. And they went and shouted, that was fucking easy. That's, that's the deal. What was, um, what was Jeremy like then? When were the wall come down? The wall came down in 1990. Um, it, you, it, did it, you go there before? It, ah, so you would have gone there after that then. I got to Germany in 1991. It was it was still on the, you know, all that sort of stuff. And the Gulf War was going on then as well, wasn't it? Gulf War had started. I missed yeah. out on that. Uh, the Gulf War had started, got to Germany. It was um, it was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoy. I was in Germany from 1991 to 1993. We were MLRS. Oh, okay. It was. Um, let, let me try and remember this. Multi launch rocket system. That's the one, yeah. Good in there. Mortal launch rocket system. And then it went the GMLRS, didn't it? Oh, yeah, bloody thing. GML was guided multi launch rocket system, which was which was not very guided. <laughs> yeah, you just. I, 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 I think I remember the few times we used it. Oh, we used it quite a few times in 08 in Afghan. And uh, yeah, I remember some instances where it didn't land where it was supposed to land. Anyway. <laughs> Yes, it, it wasn't. Uh. <laughs> but we we was the role then in Germany in ninety one, ninety two, ninety three. Was it to? Were you just there as a presence, or were you like doing anything active in terms of? I don't know. What you tell me? I don't, I don't know. I well, don't know. well it, it was <clears throat> just at the end of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So obviously the Cold War started soon as the Berlin Nazi Wall sprung up, and that divided East Germany and West Germany. And the Soviet Union was still in the late eighties a, a heavy presence there mm-hmm. because they had uh, divisions which could just wipe through the whole of NATO. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have stood a chance. It was they had so many tanks. But they were fully immersed in uh, or heavily immersed in Afghan then as well, though, weren't they? They got out of Afghan. They went, in, they went into Afghan nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, in a coup d'état. Yeah, and they. Poor date of Afghan with some like um, I can't remember the amount Eight. of 1989 they they poured out of Afghan. They were there for ten years. And they oh. pulled out because it it was a drain on the actual resources of the actual uh, country, and that's why the Soviet Union that was part of its reason it, it uh, collapsed. But we were still. There as a presence, and a lot of people think, "Oh, yeah, in Germany." What, Germany, yeah. yeah, yeah, because it was still up on the borders. And I remember going up to the border, and they saw all the checkpoints up there, all the towers, and they used to have, <coughs> they used to have a mining system out there that was second. But the Russians not. were still there in the borders. You saying they pulled back then, but back in eighty nine, oh, they, they were still there. Right, yeah, they were still there. The guard towers and everything like that, and there was a system but, of. Towers, minefields, anti-tank ditches, and everything. the Russians. 
Russians and the East Germans, yeah. Hang on. So what, before, when did they go there then? They must have left about 1989, 1990. No, when did they go there? Go there? Yeah. They went there in the 50s. My my gap in knowledge for this area is hideous. Give me a... Give me a come on. So, so, no stuff. So, so, so end of the Second World War. End of the Second World War, 1945. Yeah, go on. Ber- I, know, I know that one. <laughs> okay, bold off. We got you on that one. So, so the, the Berlin. So obviously, Berlin was then uh, divided between the, mm-hmm. uh, into sectors: <clears throat> yeah. the Russians, the French, and the Americans and us. And all of a sudden, I think, if memory serves me correctly, it was 1960. All of a sudden, across East Berlin, this war. They started to build a wall because you had the GGR and the D uh, uh, DR. So these Germans yeah. and the, the like West Germans, the whole of Germany was in a divided. Oh, hang on, I thought it was four sectors. No, no, Berlin was into four sectors. Ah, ah, sorry. So if you imagine, it's encircled. But the, the, there was some like political thing where. The French, the Germans, uh, and the British had a sector each. So you had Mike, obviously, Checkpoint Charlie. You heard a Checkpoint for, uh, yeah, Charlie? Yeah. So, it's Ber- fi- so Berlin was split into four sectors, and yeah. there was a, a, a wall went up between East Germany and West Germany. That's it, yeah. At what point in Berlin did it go through? Did it, go, did it cross through Berlin? It crossed straight no, through of the centre of Berlin. Of course it did, because there's a Berlin, Berlin. wall. What am I talking about? It crossed through from the Brandenburg Gate. If you can, And if you go there now... You've got the Brandenburg Gate, and there's a wall that goes. All, you can see part of the wall that's still there. So did it? So did it separate the the, the, the UK and US sectors from the French and the Russian sectors? S- some of it. The, it wasn't pen- that straightforward. No, right. oh, no, it wasn't. Right, Trust okay. me, because as you entered Berlin, you sometimes, if I remember correctly, you sometimes crossed through East Germany to get into Berlin. Who put the wall up? The East Germans did, under the Russian control. Ah, so it was sort of enabled by the Russians. Yeah, because don't see. forget all those countries, Poland, uh, Czechoslovakia, all those places, Bulgaria, that come on, on the, the Soviet Union. Right. And so West Germany, which was connected with France, yeah. which was... You know, what else is connected with? Well, Holland. Yeah, and all those places. That was... Norway and everything I like that. I see. So it was all part of the NATO... That was, that was all NATO. I see. So that was the Russians trying to establish their control mm. and make an East Germany, half of Germany, their territory yeah. up. Yeah. Know, but now, a thing that happened, there was a thing called a Bricksmith and Socksmith. And Bricksmith was basically <coughs> the British... We could monitor their equipment and they could have a look at our, our equipment. Mm-hmm. So parties are going in uniform to have a look at the Russian equipment and exercises. Some of the guys you used to get actually beat up. Well, I don't understand that bit. It was like a treaty thing. It was yeah, tr- there's no was... way you were sharing all the comms tech, though. Oh, no, no. <laughs> what it was was vehicles. So they'd go in and have a look at the vehicles, yeah. and they'd have a diplomatic plate on. Yeah. But then um, the Soviets could come in and have a look at us to make sure there's no b- build-up of forces uh, and stuff like I that. I see. What's com? What's com? What was what was Bricksmith? And- Bricksmith was the Br- British military something that was allowed into East Germany. As was a unit. As a, it was a unit. Yeah, yeah. It was like a. 
intergathering unit, yeah. but it was known about, if you yeah. get what I mean. Yeah. So, and the Russians did exactly the same. Got you. It was basically open like reconnaissance. And that was happening like. when you were there? Yeah. And there were also, as well, they see a lot of the technology off the actual tanks and stuff like that, and aircraft and the vehicles, that actually all of these guys would get. There's been, like, things of climbing on board a train that's got a tank on board, and they go underneath the tarpaulin, risking it, scrape off a bit of paint to take it back so all the boffins can have a look at it. It's a good book called... Ops Bricksmith, and it's really good, and it tells you all the. It's called what Ops Bricksmith. No, it's got yeah, and it it basically tells you about all the operations <coughs> that happened over there. Ah. It's quite it goes into some. Yeah. Well, I didn't know. You know, mm. you don't think that was happening at that obviously time. Mm. I read a good um, uh, Russian book called uh, before we went that uh, to Afghan was um, the bear went over the mountain. Have you heard of that one? No, I haven't. No, it's. Uh, it's a collection of so so the, the command the Russian so it's when the Russians were out operating out, out there with the you know against the Mujahideen mm. and all the rest of it, um, and it's a collection of reports made by different commanders at varying levels mm. in Af in Afghan Russian commanders uh, reports back to their seniors just you know sort of reports now. Tactical reports. Mm. You know, this is difficult to face. And situation report. Mm. Situation reports, basically, and um, and like um, what you call it, um, after action reviews yeah. and stuff like that. And and it, the book is a bunch of these reports in it. It's, it's flipping brilliant. Brilliant. It's because it's written there, and it's in, and it's a brilliant read if you're going out there to operate. You know, yeah. with the military, really good read. That's a good one. You know, it's a good one. Um, there's some good films come come out recently about the old Cold War stuff. What was that one that? Uh, Bridges Spies. Have you seen that one? Well, who's in that one? Tom Hanks. No, I've not. Bridges Spies. I was thinking brilliant. the one with. Um, I was thinking the one with the guy who's dead now. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of the last. I think it's the last film he did. Where he play. He's. It's in Germany. He's just. He's managing spies. I think I can't remember. Uh, Bridges Spies. That's recent. What's it about? It's based on a true story, mm -hmm. and it's really good. And what it's about is is there's a guy called Abel who gets caught in New York, yeah, and he's a GRU officer, a Russian sleeper agent, a lieutenant colonel. GRU is a Russian intelligence unit, yeah, right? overseas yeah. intelligence. Oh, like so, an RMI six, yeah, that's right. it. So he's caught, and he goes in, and he goes over to court. Tom Hanks is. I think he 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 plays the actual lawyer who uh, defends him, mm. and he's quite interesting. As that's going on, I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Francis Gary Powers. No. Right. Okay. So so um, Francis Gary Powers was a U two spy plane pilot mm. because in those days the U two came under the CIA. It didn't come on to the American Air Force. U2 is just reconnaissance, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. So what happened was it flew out of um, uh, Pakistan on a mission. Out of Pakistan, over Russia. And the job was <coughs> to take a photo of a missile base. Mm -hmm. Fly off, land, I think, in Norway. Job done. Now, the U2 has a classified 
by ceiling height. So he goes up and takes off, and the YouTube didn't have a comm system because it was going over Russia. It was um, um, it, it. We just had a clicker. And that was it. So you take off, yeah. no comms, only cameras. Off it flew. Oh, when you say clicker, you mean trigger for the camera? Yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah. That's yeah, all yeah. he had. Yeah. But as it went over at a high altitude, which obviously all classified, a missile, a surface-to-air missile, mm -hmm. it, it actually uh, detected it. The missile goes up, hits it, tears off his wing. So they had a self-like destruct button. He couldn't hit the button, so he parachuted out. And he got caught and he got captured. So he got thrown into prison for about five years, I think. When was this then? Like mid mid eight, mid seventies? No, this uh, is nineteen sixty three. Oh Jesus! Okay. But one of the things that happened was they decided to do a swap at the um, let's get this right, the Gilkicker Bridge, a spy swap. Where's that? Where's that bridge? Uh, that is, is Berlin. Oh, oh, okay. They didn't want, ah, to, they didn't, see, they didn't want to do it at a checkpoint, obviously, Charlie, because it'd be too <coughs> well known yeah. and everything like that. So, what they did, this, this obviously bridge, so what they did is a swap over. They exchanged Abel for this um, pilot. pilot. Gary Powers, only a couple of years ago, got the American version of the Distinguished Flying Cross because he was seen as being a traitor because he never destroyed the aircraft or anything like that. I think he died in a helicopter uh, crash in 1977 oh. because the U-2 landed and actually crashed intact. Oh, no. But it's a really good... It's a good film. That sounds like a good film. I have to watch that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was on my, it was on my watch list, that was. Um, during 93, and then what did you do after that? 93... We left Germany, went to good old Catrick in Yorkshire. Oh, the land of Nod. Uh, the land of Nod. We, we're at the old RAF Catrick. We're at the old camp. Oh, the old RAF no. camp. We were only there. I, I remember this once being on guard duty, and this truck driver come in, and he'd seen the sign, 5th Regiment Royal Artillery. And I always remember. He's like, I've been in the regiment for two years now. He was either 93 or no, no, it was 94 before I went out to Northern Ireland, and he talked to us, I said, oh, bloody hell, 5th Regiment. I used to be in 5th Regiment. I said, oh, yeah. I said, is it still the penal regiment? <laughs> so like the Germans in World War Two <clears throat> used to have all the bad boys and the penal battalions mm. used to get killed. I said, why did you say that? He said, oh, 5th Regiment. So that used to be the penal regiment in Germany. And I always wondered, these were some characters walking around who are ex- Seven Para yeah. X two nine Commando, and you think why they suddenly come to like a normal unit? If they didn't end up in like special OPs, they ended up in normal batteries. These guys from fifth rate from obviously two nine, yeah, but they end up is where all the bad boys went. Yeah, you <laughs> didn't realise until he said that. <laughs> 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 what have you done wrong? <laughs> so we went to Catrick. And we deployed on our first, my first ever tour to Northern Ireland. That was in uh, 
July 19, no, September or October 1994 to South Armagh. We operated out of a place called Keedy, mm-hmm. uh, right in, out in, deep in what you call bandit country. Mm-hmm. Um, six months of walking around all the fields, been to like Middletown and that. And uh, Loving the offences, bye-bye offences. Oh, it was just like... Oh, yeah. um, with, with all that ECM in your back. Oh, yeah. What was it then? Was it Walrus and that then? Yeah, Walrus and everything <laughs> like, and Shifter and something like Shifter. that. Shifter. And uh, because I was the, the young one, I had the big antler on my back and everything <laughs> oh, like that. Yeah. Oh, the Walrus was the... For people listening, civvies listening, ECM is electronic countermeasures. Yeah. Only each bit of equipment you commonly... Kind of, and Island was where it was thought of de- developed for for us, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, it, it so it would in, you know it different things did, did different things, different equipment did different things, but in essence, it was to um, stop pre- uh, prevent like bombs going off, like, sort of remote controlled bombs and sort of some wire control bombs. Anyway, it was, a, it was a prevent preventative sometimes, uh, but it was all massive, heavy stuff, wasn't it? The walrus was that bit where you wore a little thing in your like a thing in your back. And you had a wire going down your leg, didn't you? And you had this flipping contraption strapped to your leg, and it would and it would it could detect up to thirty centimeters into the soil. For, oh, I didn't um, have that. Yeah, for, oh, we didn't have that. Oh, that was yeah, we had that. Tr- you know, uh, what we used to use. What was the one you got? Five and twenty meter checks. Yeah, we had that as well. <laughs> yeah, five and twenty. Yeah, five and twenty. You have a quick check behind. They never went away. Even he was never in Africa. They never went away. Five and twenties. Um, and then uh, what else? You had the walrus. You had the antler. That massive thing in your back. It changed though. It changed in. Uh, it, I, I'm not going to speak about it actually because I don't know what state it is now. But it changed. The changed the newer stuff. When um, I think that was when like halfway through Iraq. Yeah, when that the campaign was going on, sort mm. of five or six, I think I changed to to um, lighter stuff, but by More by technology. by density. Yeah, but they made it bigger, so it was it's like it, it was still as heavy. It was a bit, you know, sort of. It would have been just yeah, uh, full. Yeah, yeah, walking yeah. around those country. Yeah. We used to have this dog at Keedy called Tripod. Right, I did every single place that they have a dog. I'm sure every every place like right, a dog got tripod. tripod. His name was. He was a, I heard this before. Go on. He was. He was a Jack Russell. He's a little Jack Russell called oh, Tripod. Man. He used to walk at the camp gate and he come with it. He lived in the camp. He Three come legs. like with it. Out he come, hopping around the fields. Top would pick us up. He was the Wessex as well. What their helicopter? Yeah, the Wessex yeah. helicopter big old come beast. in. A big old beast had come in and stuff like that. That was a highlight. We used to do Eagle VCPs and everything, and that you know, yeah. took the cars and all this. Yeah, nothing yeah. was going to happen. And yeah. that was. Like, but there was still some stuff going on in the nineties, wasn't there? This it, it started to quieten down then because there was a peace process. Mm. Notice I did the bunnies here then peace know, process yeah. and yeah. stuff like. that. Yeah. But I got back from there, and. Uh, I got back in the April and uh, they asked me if I fancied to go on, on an attachment to two night commando. And I said, yeah, right, out to Cyprus. Mm. So you think, oh my God, it's obviously Cyprus. So I was part of sector reserve with <coughs> two night commando at the Ledger Palace. So I walked around South Armagh, apart from tearing a few obviously trousers and having a few people give the old like bunnies ears and that. Nothing happened. Got to Cyprus. Oh my God! It just kicked. As soon as two nine got out there, it just kicked off. He's like, "What do you mean? 
basically, we had the... Was there no suntan lotion left or something? No, no, that was it. No. You're angry. What happened was, it was <laughs> the... I can think of a few incidents when the Greek... The Greeks kicked off against the Turks oh. because a Greek soldier who was SF apparently when if I remember it correctly because a few years ago we went up to this Turkish guy he said have you got have you got a light for the cigarette at the border mm. <laughs> basically this guy grabbed hold of his wrist and pulled him over so the Turks said oh there's a Greek special forces guy been f- found over it so all the Greeks went and kicked off and stuff like that so we were all stood there. I was on a snatch guard with this guy called Garth, and he was Sna- like... A snatch? What, in Cyprus? Oh, yeah, God. three of us. A guy called Scott, big big Garth, who was like six foot four, built like a brick shithouse, but was so soft-spoken. Uh, and me, and the RSM was a guy called Scooby. <laughs> they nicknamed him Scooby. Why is that? He was a, uh, he was a black guy. And he's right, not the RSM, DRSM. Because I used to go out and have a run every night, and he'd come back, this one of the, I heard, Woodall, Woodall. And I looked up, said, no, it's not God, it's his second in command. You're two minutes slow on your run tonight. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> and I always remember, it kicked off. And all the Greeks were trying to get through. And they broke through the line and got to the Turks. The Turks are in this place. And the Turks started throwing bricks at them and stuff like that. And it was um, a, a couple of funny things I remember. <laughs> we had this uh, in Turkish Independence Day. Because the, the, what happened was mm. the, the Turks had been persecuted by the Greeks. The Greeks were persecuting the Turks it for that normal so i think in 1974 the turks dropped in their airborne and cut the country off completely turkish airborne and the nick that must be a sight to be walking around <laughs> holding hands so the yeah it's like nicosia airport is still there deserted and out the back there was a there's a 737 abandoned and an old shackleton aircraft if i remember correctly or up there <coughs> so the, the um oh it's all kicked off so down in our little sect we had this observation post and the guys were the guys had to hide under this corrugated tin because the, the greeks were bricking them and the turks were as well so <laughs> they needed a battery for the radio? Oh, yeah, and the RSM come up to me. He said, Woodall, you're off running. Get your flak jacket on, your helmet, son. <laughs> I put this guy out, big blue helmet on, UN on the front, and my flak jacket run down, <laughs> dodging petrol bombs and everything, getting bricks. This little like, chuck shouting, run, Forrest, run, Forrest. <laughs> and I was in this corrugated tin, getting bricks with these two abandoned puppies. Oh, my God. <laughs> I said, I've got to go back now. Mate, well, UN peacekeeping mission was it? Sorry, UN peacekeeping. Yeah. I'm trying. To, oh yeah, I remember. I'm remembering this on the news. I was young, wasn't I? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember it now. Oh, yeah, well, I couldn't believe it though. It was like you know, it was supposed to be Cyprus and stuff like that, and it was like uh, yeah, it's the thing like we need to say about the Turks. That that's that's the thing with the, with the Middle East. Well, well, Turks they're sort of European as well, sort of aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, you do not want to be pissing a large crowd of people off. Because they will turn in a flash, like like the West can't do. It's only so far. Like 
Because only so far the youth, the like London youth massive, yeah. can go by you know sticking a hood over them, a bandana across their face, and cutting about with well a couple of petrol bombs maybe. Fucking hell, the Middle East. There you go. You are screwed because they'll be all around you. I don't know if you've been in that situation. They'll be all around you, nice as pie, and then you oh, can yeah. just tell something's going awry. You something's going to go pete tong, and you may not have done anything, but something's stirring up. <laughs> when they go nuclear, you are. Fuck. Lots of people go missing. Yeah. I was at the back gate this once near to the Turkish border. I was at the back gate. <laughs> the Padre, who'd been the 5th Regiment Padre, he was stood next to me. And I was shaking, I was shaking this gate. And I could see this padlock. And I, <laughs> the Padre looks at me. I said, Padre, I'm not too happy with this padlock, you know. He said, Don't worry, buddy. The hand of God will save us. She was laughing. Chain broke. <laughs> the gates just went. For a brief couple of seconds, the gates were like partially open. I looked at the Padre. I said, Leg it, Padre. <laughs> Me and the Padre <laughs> running long. I said, I thought you said the Andrew Gomb was going to save his Padre. He said, I think he's busy at the moment, would he? <laughs> <laughs> and then on a Thursday, I was always on uh, RSM's detail. No, no, it was on a you know, it's on a Friday because I used to have a Wednesday and Thursday off. And th- on a Friday morning, you used to be on RSM's uh, fatigues. Every morning there was RSM mm. fatigues. So on a Friday, we used to have to report out to the hotel desk because it was in a, in a ho- old hotel. And we used to report out there. And up it comes, up it comes Scooby. Woodall, do you know how I know it's a Friday? Um, because it's on your calendar, sir? No, because I get a beast your ass. Come on, Woodall. And I used to, my job for the RSM every Friday was to do his garden outside HQ. Gardening or garden? Oh, no, his garden. Oh, do his garden? Oh, yeah, he had his garden outside HQ. So I just have to get the, get the um, all the uh, the weeds up and everything. He'd hang out of his window like that. Woodall? Yes, sir? You're doing a good job on that garden, boy. <laughs> I'd say, oh, good. must have been a good effort back then for a black guy to get that far up the rank. And I was just thinking then, flipping, because even when uh, when I when I joined up, he didn't. It wasn't. He didn't see many like senior, you know, black guys or women. It just wasn't the case. Uh, he, even uh, well, I remember. I remember some in the. I mean, look, you think about how I remember it, if they stand out, stand out, how rare it I was I mean, he was in the Falklands War, this guy was, he was in the Falklands. I was stood on the gate this once, and he come up, and so there's two attendants, relax, wood old boy, have you got a kettle in there? Yes, sir. Do you fancy a cup of tea? Go on, then. Mm. And he stood there on the gate, with his pace stick, like that. And all the guys are coming in. Right, sir, right, sir. All the, you know, a senior non-commissioned officer said, and I stood there, and yeah. How was it, Woodall? You know something? When I first joined this regiment, they used to call me, and he said all these names. He said, but now I'm DRSM. I got them shaking in the boots, boy. <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> I stood, yeah. stood there like that, thinking, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir." Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a classic, and there was a picture of right, myself and a mate, Hoppy. Another hoppy this was. I was over there, mate, looking campus Christmas. And we were, uh, we, we were, um, <laughs> weeding the helicopter landing pad. <laughs> and there's a picture of, like, in shorts on. 
Nutcracker shorts, as you called him in the eighties. Sandals, yeah, like khaki. Pirate, <laughs> no, just like yeah, yeah. really short shorts, yeah. vests on, and I did an American Rangers camouflage hat on with <laughs> a couple of shovels, looking camp as anything. <laughs> and we got into us on Facebook. He's now he's now a battery captain in the Royal Artillery. <laughs> got, I want to find this photo out and say, yeah. remember this, mate? You've gone far from. Weed in the helicopter, yeah. but as you stand there, Bruno R. S. M. was a black guy. Mm. Was was basically you know he, he did. Uh, there's another one called um, uh, Derek, and he was uh, it was a BSM, and he started off as a commando chef, and he became my R. S. M. at um, four seven, <clears throat> and he was a scouser. And he, he he had a he said I know you I know you Woodall you were in Cyprus how are you are you well and that's how we used to speak good to see you we'll have a brew and a chat about the good old days and the other RSMs like that looked at me like isn't it it's fucking crazy how backwards he used to be you think about I haven't said that really. well I say we I suppose we grew in the UK to 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 that kind of discrimination that went on for fucking years. It's, I just it, it makes you wonder where it all where it all fucking came from. Like thousands of years ago. I don't know. I don't think I I I'm skeptical as whether you can stamp it all out. I don't know because I think inherently there is um there is uh discrimination. It's in, it's spread into. Yeah. I'm not talking about racial discrimination. I'm talking you, you discriminate all the time. Uh, like I'll see you. And I'll see someone else, and you'll be dressed differently, and I will make judgment subconsciously. I'll make judgment because if you're dressed like you are now, normal, and he's dressed in a flipping, I don't know, a, a pink uni- unicorn outfit, I'm gonna. There's certain uh, judgments I'm gonna make about him <laughs> that I won't make about you. Discriminate, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's that. Just you're growing up experiences, but you know, it's uh, and you have that discrimination everywhere. But then it's just managing it, I suppose. Yeah. But it's the, the, but the but the ignorance of. Uh, you know, judging people on where they're from, what their what their religion is, what their this colour of their skin is. They may just stick out you slav. Where are you from? Woodall and you flat. Oh the yeah. accent. Yeah, discriminate because of accent. Yeah. Well, no, where are you from? Doodly. 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 <laughs> Do you know that you sound like Jasper Carrot? Yes, sir, I've been told that many times. Don't get cocky, Woodall. Yeah, yeah, and I sound like Jasper. Okay, well, I think actually a few of them actually called me Jasper at one stage. Mm. Oh, Jasper, over here. You're not, you're not dissimilar to looking like him, mind. You've been told that as well, haven't you? I went to say you earlier, you mentioned it. I didn't. I, I, I didn't I, want to discriminate. I'm not receding. I've got very low eyebrows, Hugh. <laughs> <here. laughs> I look, I have this in my forehead, right? I have uh, halfway down my forehead. I have this hair, a single hair goes out. It pissed me off for a few years now. And it dawned, I think, why the, why have I got a hair growing there? It dawned on me. That's where my hairline was. My hairline was there when I was younger. And there's one hair stayed there. It depresses me now. I almost want to leave it growing out for them all sprout out around it. But it's not going to happen. It just makes me laugh. So I'm nearly 15. You take your shirt off. You're like, what's that? Oh, I've got a growth of hair going on the back. I've got Sherwood Forest growing on the back thinking, That's we should right, grow in the front instead. And- <laughs> Yeah, but how can your hair receding? Because my father was Klingon, and that's why the the oh, that's why he got the temper. Yes, that's it. Yeah, he thinks, oh Jesus, why is it? Why is it going? How did you um? 
How did you go from the military to starting up your own company? Um, How did you get there? I left in 2005. Oh, uh, not long ago then. No. Really? No, I left no. in 2005. And I just, I, I qualified as a medic there. And also then I found another niche. The, I went on a medic, I said, hey, you fancy going on a medic's course? And, yeah, okay then. Yeah, I'll go on the medic's course. But they were the instructors. You see, how an instructor puts it over, you can, you know, you can say, right, well, you know, okay, some people, you know yourself, you've got instructors, whether military or civil, and you sit there like that going, like a goldfish, like that. Yeah, please. looking sat inanimate with your mouth open. PowerPoint, yeah. like a PowerPoint presentation. Or like, you know, ask you a question. Uh, yes, uh, Sorry, right, what was the question again? <laughs> um, but other instructors, I'm like going, well, wow, that's interesting. How does that How does that work? How how does the brain produce these electronic signals and all this? So I, I really got into th that side of it. So I went on that medics course and I did another one and another one. And I was like, well, this is really enjoyed it, loved it a bit. So then after I got out, I, I felt I needed to find a niche. And uh, I was having a chat with a mate, and he said, well, he, I qualified as a first aid instructor. So I thought, set up my own business. And it's... Um, was anyone else doing it at the time, that a guy that you knew that sort of gave that, that idea, or was it just off the, your own back kind of thing? Off the cuff. Hmm. Off the cuff. So um, I got selected to be a first aid instructor f for the Royal Navy. So I did that for four years, but... Well, hang, um, on, hang on, hang on, hang on, yeah, hang on. I'm hanging on. Royal Navy, Royal Artillery, you, hang on, how did that happen? I don't understand. A mate of mine came up to me, he said, the Royal Navy, because I lived in Portsmouth at the time. You're out now. Yeah, I'm right. out now. You they were look, out at this point. Yeah, mm, yeah. I was out now, yeah. so this is now 2008, <laughs> he said, they're looking for a first aid instructor. Mm. The Royal Navy? Yeah. What? HMS Excellent. A civilian first aid instructor, the civilian contractor as a first aid instructor. So I put in my CV, got interviewed, and I got the job teaching the Royal Navy first aid, which was great because I did all the the sea survival course and everything. Who were you teaching then? Matt Lewis and so Bob people bootnecks. on ships, yeah, all the bootnecks, the Navy and RFA. Boot what the Marines? Yeah, I was teaching first them aid. Yeah, they surely they do team medic courses, isn't that like? They still have to know basic first aid. Yeah, we did that. It's our team medic course. We'd be, we'd yeah. be, well, hang yeah. on, hang on. It'd be, it'd be battlefield first yeah. aid. Well, they they still put them through a ship's four-day yeah. first aid course. And yeah. they're not all optag as well. Mm -hmm. So I was obviously, it was a great experience. So all the, <coughs> excuse me, all my first aid courses are then based on the Royal Navy's course. I thought, mm. this is good. And... But I wasn't business focused. I wasn't, if you get me, I wasn't, um, oh, I need to get this, I need her uh, to get that. So, um, finished that 2012. Then I got offered a job in Dubai in 2013 and stopped there till 2015. Mm -hmm. Came back and I thought I'll start up again. But this time I was more. They always say that you go through business a second time around, you've learned all your mistakes the first time. Mm -hmm. So now you start to, 
I need to do this, I need to do that. So started a Twitter. More stuff on obviously LinkedIn. So all the courses started coming in uh, and uh, I love it to bits because I got more obviously qualified so mm -hmm. I could offer companies more deep range of courses. Uh, and working for the Navy, that's where I met Seb Coulthard, who was a um, who was a fleet air arm guy, who was a wafu, mm -hmm. and he heard I was a remote areas medic, so he was involved with the, the Shackleton Epic Expedition, and that was basically they went in January twenty thirteen, and they sold sold a replica of the James Caird lifeboat. Explain that. Okay, so um, Ernest... Sir, Excuse uh, my ignorance, sorry. Sir Ernest um, Shackleton mm -hmm. went down uh, to the Antarctic to cross over to the south of the pole, mm -hmm. and his ship got crushed. So to escape, they left a few guys on... Let's get this right. Got crushed by what? Icebergs or something? Yeah. Ah. The ice just crushed it completely. Ah, okay. They set sail. Oh, it was parked up? Well, it was... Yeah, yeah, moored up. So, what was the island? They set sail from one island. I can't remember which. South Georgia. No, they actually had to sail to South Georgia. So they went from one pinprick to sail to South Georgia. Six guys did. Ah, oh, what was the island where the Hereford Bay had the drama in the Falklands? That was obviously Pebble Island. Pebble Island. That's yeah. where they had to sail to. So these guys replicating that. So this guy here, Dolls and Remotes, he's, he's telling me about this Shackleton Epic Expedition and mm. it being organised by a guy called Tim uh, Jarvis, Australia Medal, who'd who'd walked solo to the South Aussie Pole. <clears throat> so I did all their like medical uh, training and mm. supplied a trauma kit for the sea uh, trials in the like United Kingdom. Yeah, it was great. Got to yeah. meet the the great great granddaughter of Ernest Shackleton, oh, this wow. lovely lady called Alexander Shackleton, who was rather um, British, you, you, rather British. <laughs> oh, how you? You're the medic, aren't you? Hello, how are you? Are you well? How old was she? You. Oh, she must be in her eighties now. Oh, really? Yeah, but when but, did Shackleton do that then? Shackleton did that. Oh my God! I'm going to get this right now. 1914. 14? 1914. Jesus because it, it must be 1914 because I think World War One had just started. But when Seb came back in the May, I was still living in Portsmouth and it was, and then, and then we got in May 2013. And he said, Well, I fancy doing something different. And I said, Well, how about, how about the actual desert? So the first plan was. Because my great uncle uh, Dennis was a wartime SAS man, we were oh, going really? to go out uh, to Libya, and we had this idea first of all again a Chevalier truck and driving through all the, the LRDG sites and that. But due to what's happening in Libya, we didn't think that would be a very good idea. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I said, "Well, what about doing something about like Lawrence of Arabia?" Mm -hmm. And this was a few beers in the pub. May 2013 so I got back May 2015 from uh, Dubai and <clears throat> and he said that idea about doing a desert expedition Lawrence of Arabia I went, yeah let's have a 
have another th think about it so the planning stages were to <clears throat> actually crop so Lawrence of Arabia um, he was sort of the forerunner of the special forces in World War 2 mm -hmm. but this is in World War 1 but one of the attacks he did he crossed the Nafud Desert to Wadi Rum in Jordan then him and the, the Arab army attacked Aqaba because it was a port and all the guns faced outwards and the British needed that to then go in and obviously take Arabia by a logistics thing so he had all this so he was going to actually do that but it was six weeks it would have taken six weeks two months last year uh, 2016 last year we started to plan it scale it down we supposed to have this film crew so we had this film crew with that. I said, oh yeah this is a fantastic idea and the discovery channel and all this and we'll do this and this guy came in from holland and he chatted to us was oh this is great so we planned it and everything and he pulled out oh, no. and seb said fuck it we're still doing it mm. so we scaled it down and we planned this expedition <laughs> it cost us 1500 pounds each <laughs> we flew from london to Turkey, Istanbul, mm. then flew into a man in Jordan, stopped in a man in Jordan, and then we went down to we got to Wadi Rum, this guy called Ahmed from Rum Stars, right right met us. So normally on an expedition like this you'd have obviously a backup crew, support crew, you know, vehicle just in case, you know, medical evacuation, sat phone. We wanted to experience what Lawrence experienced. So no kit. We had traditional Arabic gear. We had four camels, myself, Seb, Auda, our guide. And that was it. We went from Wadi Rum all the way by camel to the outskirts of Aqaba because you can't take camels in Ur to Aqaba. We then went from Aqaba and we arrived in Aqaba on July the 16th, 2017, hundred years to the day Lawrence <laughs> did <laughs> and it was such a fantastic experience we actually spent the night outside his house at Wadi Rum uh, Lawrence's house yeah he had a house built there at Wadi Rum it's obviously uh, deserted now and that and uh, so we had like five days on camels eat, awesome. and they said uh, you know the, the guy said uh, do you want a sleeping bag we went no we don't sleep in bags so we slept on the floor mm. all blankets Arab headdresses on, mm. Arab... Oh, I've seen the photo uh, of you in that, And we actually. didn't do it as like we're going to pretend. We wanted to experience what he did. And I wrote a journal. I wrote a journal each mm -hmm. day about what he would feel out there because it was him and he spoke Arabic fluently. Mm he -hmm. had the temperature, you had camel sores, you had heat exhaustion, all the things that he experienced... And he's obviously planning this big major attack. We got to Aqaba and we was expecting like, you know, it's a hundred years to the day that Lawrence and the Arab army entered Aqaba. We was expecting a parade and everything. The Jordanian <laughs> tourist board had said, oh, there's going to be a parade. So we, myself and Seb Coulthard in our Pilgrims Bandits polo shirts because we raised money for them. We got there, the flag outside of the castle they took over. Nothing. Really? There was me and him. 
we and the head of the tourist board, Fragabar, the minister, he took us in. It was rather, <laughs> can we give you Turkish coffee? <laughs> well, I thought, we've come all this way and we're getting served Turkish coffee. It's horrible anyway. Oh, oh God, it's horrible. So we had a walk around the fort and I popped over to a shop and I bought two bottles of Coke. I said to Seb, there we go. So we stood outside the fort toasting Lawrence of Arabia with <laughs> bottles of Coca-Cola. But it was a fantastic experience. Have it, you have you read um, the, the Seven Pillars of Wisdom? I have. You have to read it about three or four times because it's really... It's, it's layered, isn't it? It's layered and you have to... Not intentionally, though. It's brilliant. It's, I didn't know he was Welsh. I didn't know he was Welsh. We, we've actually been over to his house. We've been to the house he was born at. Where, at, where is it? Oh, no, I need to get this pronounced right now. Uh, Say it phonetically, amuse me. Tremadoc. Tremadoc. That's what I said. Yeah. Tremadoc. 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 <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Tremadoc. Welsh and gay. There's nothing to confirm that. <laughs> Read between the lines and the Oh, seven. sorry, Lawrence. Sorry, you're on about Lawrence. Sorry. <laughs> Read you between the, if you read between the lines and the seven pillars of wisdom, there's an eighth pillar. It's just when you said, yeah, Welsh and gay, I thought to myself, oh. <laughs> the host of HR, negative. Negative. <laughs> negative. <laughs> negative. Goes that sorry, one goes right. <laughs> and you go over to his house there, and he's. It's now a youth hostel and everything like that. The side of it's a youth hostel. Yeah. And, was, and there's like a Is there a plaque or anything? Yeah, there's a big, yeah. the, the blue plaques there. Killed in a motorcycle accident, didn't he? Yes. In the uh, 60s? 19, you're close. I have to say this like I do on first aid courses. If I ask a question, it was basically 1935. Was it that? 1935. Oh. 18, oh. He died the 18th of, he hit 16th of May, 1935. Died mm. 18th of May. Mm. On his motorcycle outside Clouds Hill Cottage uh, in Dorset by Bovington Camp. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's amazing. I'm not going to trip myself. Awesome. Mate, we have. You're going to like me, Sam. We've got to flick it out now. Have we? time flowing now. I'm just looking at the time, yeah. Um, right. Tell me the name of your company. My company name is Medic Services International, and we're a vibrant Worcestershire-based business. Vibrant? You, but you, serve, you can serve anywhere in the UK, can you or not? I've worked Within all reason. over the UK. Right. I've also worked overseas as well. What services do you do altogether? Uh, we do health and safety, fire safety. Mostly it's first aid, anything from basic first aid, three-day first aid work calls, catastrophic bleed management. Uh, and we've run courses in Qatar, we've run courses in mm. uh, Basra, Iraq. We was Basra, Iraq. Who were you training at? Last November. Was it Civi? Uh, oil Oilfield, yeah. Ah, oh, okay. Oil yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. What, Ramallah you were at? Uh, in Basra, uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the place. I can't pronounce it. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right on the river, it was. Ten clicks from the Kuwaiti border. Oh, down south then. Yeah, way Samara down, maybe. Yeah, way down south. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, go on. And we do a lot for tree surgeons as well. We have a lot of obviously tree surgeons come um, to us for courses, which is really, really? Good. yeah. We is that predominantly because you got to make your ones 
Griswold. I met Griswold when they were chopping up the tree outside the house in Portsmouth and I offered them a cup of tea and they said, having a chat, what's your line of work? And the every manager just happened to be there. So I, I said, here's my uh, line of work. So I handed over my office business card. And that's, that that was in June 2013. So we've now got a fantastic working like relationship. Face to name, with. personal touch always gets you in there. Referrals, all the all the work we get are referrals it, mm. it's not from like advertising we're on twitter instagram mm. linkedin we have a facebook page as well but the work we get is from basically it's from referrals what's the website uh www.medicservicesinternational.com anything else you want to plug sorry anything else you want to plug you mentioned pilgrim bandits uh, pilgrim bandits yeah. i know you're involved with 353 as well fantastic or fundraise for them fantastic obviously uh, we had tony on totally um, yes yeah and you're involved with um we fundraise for rugby heroes rugby we had for with him. mikey on didn't we oh yes mikey valance were a legend yeah 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 so um yeah those three yeah apart from those anything else mate been an absolute pleasure having you on it's been great to be here. Been good chatting. Learned about yeah. Mate, I learned about Germany. There's gaps in my People hate me. It's like, I, I, my mates, some of my mates are like uh, absolute history boffins. And you think, why are you military? Why, no, why don't you know everything about everything? Because my brain only has so much room. When I learn something, it kicks something else out. Oh, I'm the same. I have to dump stuff. Because yeah. like, it just explode. <laughs> That's why I'm so intelligent. I was thinking, you are highly, highly intelligent. Uh, even though I've got a Dudley <laughs> accent. I look, th- I look thick, sound thick, but trust me, I'm not thick. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolute pleasure mate and, and, and nice to meet you again sober this time I was yes <laughs> <laughs> cheers Julian you, thank you very much mate thank you shout out again to our sponsor today Griswood and Tom's Superb tree surgeons, been in the business for 40-odd years, since the 1970s. They're an Arboricultural Association approved contractor, which means they don't fuck about. You can find them on griswoldandtoms.co.uk, Griswold and Toms on Facebook and on Instagram. Get on there, check them out. Until the next time, out.